Walking Wind, Walking Story. Hello, my name is Ondi Bardoon and I'm currently the holder of the Thinking in Tune residency and this is The Walking Wind, The Walking Story of Tune, brought to you by the kind support of Creative Places Tune. In the Bronze Age era, approximately 1500 BC, it is believed that there was a gravel burial ground located near the River Nanny, at a site close to the bridge of the present-day Shop Street. This large burial mound was also accompanied by a natural hill, which still exists today as Tunnadaly Hill. It is taught by many this is where the tune got its name, that Tune de Gallon, or the Thalamus of the Two Shoulders. However, this definition is disputed by some who feel the title did not arise from these two shoulders, but two other hills, which also hold or host a wide array of ancient sites known as Knockmay or Castle Hackett, which exists on the lands west of Tune. Officially, the town can trace its history to 526 AD, when St. Jarlet, a nobleman and priest of the local kingdom, set out by the instruction of St. Benin to leave the monastery of Clonfush and set up a new school and monastery wherever his chariot wheel broke. St. Jarlet must have been delighted at the wheel breaking in Tume. Not only was there, were the grounds fertile and the river unprone to its flooding, it was only four kilometres from Clonfush. Sadly, no relics remain of St. Jarlet, which support the in part the theory that Tume may have been plundered by the Vikings which resulted in the town later building a round tower in Kilbannon. There are three sites associated with St. Jarlet. Temple Jarlet, which you would visit on this walk, Tober Jarlet, which is one kilometre southeast of the centre of Tume, and Temple Shireen. The now lost relics of St. Jarlet were sent to the reinterment to Temple Shireen on the 6th of June, which has since become his feast day. Over the years, Tume has become a very suspicious placement in relation to the geography and the socio-political environment. To west of Tume is the Clear River and between it, Loch Carb, where the lands of Meg Shola, the territory of the O'Flaherty's. In 1051, with Aid O'Connor overthrew the O'Flaherty's, Tume became an increasingly important foothold and seat of power, made all the more potent by the creation of the Tume as Archdiocese of Connacht. Sculpture, the Broken Wheel of St. Charlotte. The Broken Wheel of St. Charlotte has become a sustained icon and emblem for Tume. It has been represented on the crest of Tume as well as with the many organisations, schools, emblems and services in the area. Along with being a modern town and a beautiful quay of diversity and a wide array of peoples, Tume is also home to the highest population of travellers, pair population in the country. For the primary home of travellers to have the symbol of broken wheel, it seems almost ironic. However, some say the wheel is broken, others see it, in part, a piece of wheel, that circle, remains somewhat lost and perhaps forgotten about. Few would doubt, however, that all things can be repaired. The sculpture was revealed in 2001 as part of the beautiful work of the Tomb Tidy Town project and was sponsored by Joe O'Toole. Cathedral of Assumption Behind the sculpture you will no doubt notice the imposing building that is the Cathedral of the Assumption and in relation to when it was built it would be the second Cathedral of Tomb. You are very much welcome to walk around the Cathedral with the next stop being just outside the main entrance. On the 3rd of April 1827 Dr. Oliver Kelly, who was then a Roman Catholic Archbishop, laid the first foundation stone for the cathedral. The grounds have been donated by the use for Oliver Burke of Carriglee. Costing £20,000, this construction was completed in 1836. The cost in terms of modern inflation will come to £2.4 million. Local lore holds that many of the builders of the site worked at a reduced rate or for short periods of time for free as an act of penance. The cathedral was designed by Dominic Madden and was dedicated by Archbishop McHale on the 18th of August 1837. While designed by Dominic Madden, the building was overseen by Andrew Egan and Company, 
who was also responsible for building other period buildings in the tomb, most of which are still standing today, such as St. Gerard's College, the Presentation Convent, the Curly Court Hotel, the Town Hall, the Railway Station and Tormore House. Andrew Egan died in 1863 at the young age of 53 and it was said that he's not only taken much joy in the building of the cathedral, but he's very much hands-on in its construction and was known for his good sense of humour. I would invite you to walk around the building and pay particular notice to many of the archways above the windows. It is said that some of the unfortunate residents of Tomb were selected for an uneasy blessing that having their faces modelled by the stonemasons into gargoyles, which was very much a part of a declining European custom at the time. Please pause while I side of the entrance of the church. St. Gerardus College. To the left of the church we know is the building that is St. Gerardus College. The college itself was founded in 1800 by Oliver Kelly under the patronage of the then Archbishop of Tomb, Edward Dillon. In the early years, it was seen that it was used primarily as a preparatory school for Minute Seminary. However, not much as it is known for the school at the time, but fulfilling a large gap in the educational requirements of Tomb and indeed College itself. A few years after founding the college, Oliver Kelly was promoted to the office of Bishop and continued his part to oversee the development of the college. This included the purchase of the then-bankrupt French bank, which was funded largely on the backing of the Napoleon War. The acquisition of this building also allowed the college to become one of the facilitated borders, a tradition that continued until 2006. The building still stands and can be seen left of the wheel of St. Charles. In 1834, Dr. Kelly died and Dr. John McHale was appointed as his successor. This was at the time a contentious selection, however, with McHale's keen interest in Irish history, language, patronism and Irish nationalism. McHale was to have a profound and stabilising effect on the college, ensuring its survival, including that of surviving the famine, which student numbers dwindled to only 16. In 1858, a new building was built to facilitate the fresh resurgence of students and the required accommodation for additional professors. Over the next six decades, there was also the completion of a study hall, auditory, gym and swimming pool, including the installation of electricity in 1927. A new wing was added in 1950 to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the college and following the implementation of free education and increased bus routes in the 1970s, there was a large shift towards day students. Adjacent to St. Jardis College are also the sporting fields. To date, Jardis have recorded at least 12 Hogan Cup wins. In 2000, the local Christian Brothers School, St. Patrick College, decided to amalgamate with St. Charlotte's, a process that took several years to complete. Next, you are invited to visit the Mercy Convent and the Presentation Convent, which are accessible via gate along the right side of the, of the cathedral. Please pause until outside the convents. Mercy Convents. In 1846, at the invite of Bishop McHale, the Sisters of Mercy opened a convent in Tomb. The first sisters to arrive were the, that of Mother Mary Alphonsus Ryan, Sister Mary Claire Maher and Sister Mary Magdalene Maher, who came from the Carla House of the Order. They arrived on the 2nd of January that year. A house of mercy was immediately opened and the girls from impoverished families who were cared for employed at laundry work and needlework as a means of generating income during the famine. A boarding school for young ladies was also opened alongside the House of Mercy, but did not develop much until the ravages of the famine began to ease. The current House of Mercy was built in 1861, with the additional weaving room added in 1866. Presentation Convent. The convent was established in 1835, with several premises added over the years, including 1849, 1855 and 1927. 
the Procession Convent School attached the comet opened in 1855 to student numbers of around 300. A secondary school for girls opened in Curlie in 1972. You are now invited to return to the road opposite the one which hosts the sculpture of the Wheel of St. Charlotte. Please pause until you're at that site. The Palace the palace, which now acts as a restaurant with super value and the administration of O'Toole's supermarket, was built in 1720 by the Church of Ireland Archbishop Singe. The site used was originally that was host the remains of the wonderful castle by Rory O'Connor, the last High King of Ireland, which was built in 1164. The castle was acquired in 1574 and was used as the Bishop's Palace. The wonderful castle was repaired in 1647 in which one of its outer enclosure walls was used for the front wall of two public houses on Shop Street. The domestic quarters and stables of the palace can be seen as a collection of buildings across the road to the right of the palace. They were built in 1808 and were converted into a community centre in 1956, while currently the offices of the Tume District Mental Health Association Community Employment Scheme, the building also served to originally home Gwilskull Yarlet in its early years. 1916-1966 Monument the 1916-1966 monument was originally commissioned in 1966 in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the 1916 Easter Rising. On the 24th of April 2016, an exact centennial anniversary of the Easter Rising. You are now invited to enter the car park and walk towards the left of the palace, to which you will find the Chair of Tomb. Please pause until you are at that site. Chair of Tomb. You will notice that there remains the outer wall of the wonderful castle, which is also part of prehistoric burial mount. A 1500 BC Bronze Age urn was found by workmen on this site in 1875. On the 30th of March 1613, Tune received a royal charter from James VI, which allowed for Tune to have two representatives in the House of Commons, which continued until the Parliament was abolished in 1800. The Charter also allowed for the establishment of a formal town council with an elected sovereign, which later became known as mayor. The sovereign was to be sworn into office at the site of the chair as a means to also attempt to legitimise his position among the two natives who remain opposed to British influence. A physical chair was placed within the space by the late Cardinal Thomas O'Feeock and was revealed in May 1980. The title of chair tomb is of course not to be confused with the local and regional three-legged corner chair, also known as a tomb chair, which was known to be widespread in the use in Connacht and especially Sligo for 150 years, but is considered much older. You are now invited to return to the site of the 1916 monument. Please feel free to pause until you're at that site. The Bible School and the Georgian House by this time we have noticed that this walk has not yet really deviated away from religious or church-related buildings. This, of course, is due to the sheer history of Tume and its religious orders, but also an indication of how centrally Tume was placed in relation to the national politics for quite a significant amount of time. For those who may be feeling a bit wary at this topic at this stage, don't worry, there's far more to follow. Immediately across from the monument are two buildings worthy of note. The first was originally a Bible school until 1920, in which a Mr. Jim Cummings re-established it as a drapery business. And next to that is a three-storey building, which once served as the Palace View Hotel until 1892. This top storey of the building was added in the early 1900s. According to the 1901 census, the building originally had seven windows, in which none of the original panes survive, leaving only the fan above the front door intact. The road outside of the house is two foot higher than the building was first built, leaving the lower level to have a somewhat squat appearance. You are now invited to stroll down the road 
until you get to Garrity's shop, please feel free to pause until you're at that site. Garrity's shop. Garrity's shop was originally built in the early 19th century as a Berconi coach house. It was also the home of Tom French, who was a member of the Connick Rangers, who was killed in Gallipoli in 1915. There remains a plaque on the wall remembering the purchase of a cap from the shop in 1946 by John Wayne, who used it alongside Maureen O'Hara in the film The Quiet Man. You are also now invited to stroll down the road and you get to the town square. Please feel free to pause until you're at that site. Chum Town Hall One of the first things you may have noticed about the square of Chum is that it is actually laid out in the shape of a triangle. This is something I've always felt really encapsulates the warm spirit of Chum, performing as it must, but never quite getting what most people expect. The Chum Town Hall was built on land donated by the Hancock family in 1857, and it was restored and extended in 1884. After an ambush in which two RIC officers, Burke and Carey, were killed in July of 1920. In retaliation, many buildings in Chum were set alight, some lost, including that of the Town Hall. The Town Hall itself was restored in 1926. You may have noticed there are many plaques on Town Hall, mostly due to the wonderful work of the old Chum Society, which most of the plaques around the town owe their existence to the society. The first plaque is in memory of all Chum men who fought in wars. The second, a marker to remember Bobby Burke, who worked tirelessly for the poor and gifted Tormor House to the state in service of the poor in Hungary before leaving Chum for Africa in the 1950s. One of the plaques is to John J. Waldron, who was a member of the aforementioned Old Tomb Society. The last of a major Richard W. Dowling, an American Civil War soldier who died aged 30 from yellow fever in 1867. Currently, this plaque remains the only memorial to a Confederate Army soldier in the Republic. In the 1930s records of the Irish Folklore Commission, the school collection, there's a record from a teacher named Evelyn Holliday which states that there was once a stone in Tomb Square that, if stood upon, was said to put a person astray. It was called the Fodden Merville. Following an incident which three men on return from a wake found themselves back at the wake again, the stone was removed. Local lore suggests that it was placed at the front steps of the town hall. Incidentally, the primary access to the town hall is now at the side of the building. The sculpture. Across from the town hall is a bronze sculpture crafted by Cathy Carmen and was revealed in 1994. In direct contravention of the common witty remark that such a thing represents the twisted two-faced sense of the local spirit, the beautiful artwork is in fact representing the entwining history of Chum, both an ancient site and contemporary home, linked by a wheel and supported by the three motifs at its base, that of the town's coat of arms, the crowns of the high kings and the high cross, a symbol of a people looking back in remembrance and forward in hope. You are now invited to stroll down Shop Street until you get to the bridge at the bottom of the road. Shop Street will be the road to the right of the square, having already come down Bishop Street from the 1916 monument. Please feel free to pause until you're at that site. Waterslate House. Waterslate House is a townhouse that was built in 1650 and was remodelled in 1810 by the Burke family of Knocknagar, Chum. Northworthy past residents are Augustus Burke, who was a famous painter, Lieutenant Colonel Theobald Burke, 13 Baronet of Glisk, and Thomas Henry Burke, Undersecretary of the State of Ireland, who was murdered in the Phoenix Park in Dublin in 1882 by the Invincibles. In 1839, when Daniel O'Connell visited Chum for the opening of the National Bank, which took place at the site of the current Bank of Ireland on the Dublin Road, he was entertained by the family of Dr Pendergast, who was then the owner of Waterslate House. 
Since then, the house has passed from Dr. Pendergast to his son Richard until it was auctioned and sold to another Tune native, James McDowell, who passed on to his nephew James, who then passed it to his son Stephen. In 1962, it was sold in auction to Dr. Mighty Farrell, who passed it on to his sister Kathleen, who had a pharmacy on the square until she passed there in 1982. Bridge House. On the other side of the bridge is the Bridge House, which was built in 1837 by a Charles Blake who opened it as a brewery in 1840 and, according to records, produced 5,000 barrels of malt liquor and 600 quarts of malt. The brewery closed in 1892. The stone balustrade on Shop Street Bridge was originally intended for the ill-fated Menlo Castle but was instead installed on the bridge as the style in the end was not to the liking of the Blake family who were then the traditional inhabitants of the castle. You are now invited to stroll to the left of the bridge to the Little Mill. Please feel free to pause until you're at that site. The Little Mill. The Little Mill, as is known locally, was transformed into a museum in 1978 to enable its preservation. This was laid out by a teacher named Ton Claffey and his students from St. Patrick's Secondary School. The project won Best European Project when presented in Brussels. The mill operated as a corn mill from 1720 to 1964 and has been both a museum and tourist information office since. The current park came into being in 1961 when the carbon drainage scheme lowered the riverbed of the River Nanny, which fed the mill by five and a half foot. This greatly reduced the water of the mill, which resulted in the need to install an electric engine in order to keep the mill going. The mill closed three years later. The park also includes millstones, which in the past were worked in the mill, the miller's house, the remains of the mill wheel and the peaceful area to sit. Interesting enough, the park also possesses a large famine pot which was used to make food to feed the people during the famine. Local custom once had it that if food was left in the pot by locals that they themselves would never know any hunger. This tradition was quickly adapted to the touching of the side of the pot with a wooden spoon for fear that the gifting of food would encourage the rodents into the area. You are now invited to stroll to another little park on the side across from the little mill. Please feel free to pause until you are at that site. Anne-Marie McHugh Remembrance Park. The Anne-Marie McHugh Remembrance Park was built in 2003 in memory of Anne McHugh who passed away during the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers on the 11th of September 2001. Anne-Marie worked on the 84th floor of the building, number two. The stonework which is central to the park is reflective of the Twin Towers themselves. Since 2015, a small ceremony has been taking place with Anne-Marie's family and many Tomb Tallytown members in remembrance of her life. Richard M. Daly, Mayor of Chicago, and his wife visited the Memorial Garden in 2009. Mrs. Elizabeth A. Sunday, American Consul to Ireland, visited on the 11th of September 2017. If you exit the park and continue to stroll up the road to your right until you get to reach the top of the hill, you will come to our next stop. Please feel free to pause until you are at that site. Chapel Lane. During the times of the penal laws, 1695 to 1829, there was a series of laws and directives to attempt to force Irish Roman Catholics and Protestant dissenters into accepting the Anglican Church, the official state-established Church of Ireland. Chapel Lane is the site of the earlier Roman Catholic Church used, mostly in secret under great pressure in penal times and prior to the building of the earlier visited Cathedral of Assumption. While all that remains of this church is the gable ends and the re-established archway, the little, largely overlooked site should not be downplayed in the importance in the rebellious spirit of the past residents of Tomb. 
since the penal times tomb has become an ever-developing haven for diverse faiths and those of none. If you continue to the very top of the hill and take a right, you will have your first sight of Temple Jarlet on High Street. Please feel free to pause and direct that site. Temple Jarlet Temple Jarlet was Tume's first church. The inhabitants of a monastery in Tupper Jarlet was transferred to this site in 1032. If you follow the pathway that curls around the site, you will see that the outer enclosure was extended to include the Cathedral of St Mary's, which took place in 1127. Temple Jarlet has been repeatedly burned in 1244, in 1262 and 1355. It was even the local parish church for a while from 1302 to 1306. According to the records, it was in ruins by 1672. It is the only ruined church predating the 12th century that has survived in Tume out of six. Tubber Jarrett, the first St. Mary's Cathedral, Abbey of the Holy Trinity, St. John's Abbey and Teppanel Shreen. If you continue down the High Street Road, you will get to the next stop, St. Mary's Cathedral. Please feel free to pause until you're at that site. St. Mary's Cathedral. The cathedral was founded in 1127 AD by King Thurlough O'Connor and was over 500 years the most important ecclesiastical seat in Connacht. Three different cathedrals were built in the 12th, 14th and 19th century. The present cathedral, which incorporated the older cathedral into its form, featured an original Herberno-Romanesque chancel arch was built by Sir Thomas Nurenham Dame and was completed in 1878. Interestingly, the archway was constructed with six concentric carved arches supported by an inward-leaning column, meaning that a keystone was not required. St Mary's Cathedral also hosts the beloved High Cross of Tomb, a beautiful synod hall and many elegant motifs, including that of what is said to be represents the Green Man, the embodiment of divinity in nature. Directly across the road to the church is the plaque of the Abbey of the Holy Trinity. Please feel free to pause and to at that site. Abbey of the Holy Trinity The Abbey of the Holy Trinity was founded by William de Burgh in 1204, which was used as the cathedral after the original St Mary's collapsed in 1184. After the Reformation, in 1574, it was granted to Thomas Lewis. By 1672, it was in ruins, which many of the stones have been taken for building locally. The last of the foundations were removed in 1972 to facilitate a new road. Next, if you travel suddenly along the Gower Road, you will pass the railway lines and a row of houses. Continue along Churchview until you come to the yellow building and the train station. Please feel free to pause until you're at this site. Churchview House. This building dates from 1835 and is now called Brewbridge, having operated since 2009 as a training centre. It also holds the Western Traveller and Intercultural Development Group. Previous to this, it was a cultural centre, a law firm and the office of Coca-Cola and a private residence. On the grounds, there was a stream known as Scruton Bridge, which once ran through the grounds, but after successive draining schemes, it no longer flows. Across from this building is the Tune train station and Grove House. Please feel free to pause and cheer at this site. Tune Railway Station. The Tune Railway Station opened in 1860 and was part of the Waterford, Limerick and Western Line between Sligo and Limerick and was a major stop between Clare Morris and Athenry. It was the only station along the route with two platforms and a passing loop bridge. In 1901, the station was purchased by the Great Southern Western Railway. The station closed along with the entire route in 1976. However, freight trains from the Critic Fibre Company and the Tume Sugar Factory used the line, ensuring it remained open until the 1990s.
While this is the final stop on the walking raid, walking story tune, it should not be considered the end of the story. What we have considered in view today is only a scraping of the lore and history of Tomb, and in the months that follow myself and Creative Places Tomb very much warmly invite you to participate and collaborate in the journey. The history of a place should not be measured by the weight of its buildings, nor the age of its roads, but with the tales, stories and sharing of its people. Take care and thank you for sharing the journey.